0: we're all professional naturalists who together have scoured the world for weird and wonderful wonders just to please your mammalian brain's desire for novelty. Isn't that nice? Let's do this.
1: Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back. Hi. It is. Hey. It is episode 99. This is crazy. Oh, my
0: gosh. We are surrounded Bye. right now uh, in the studio with 99 everywhere. Red Nine balloons. I Gorgeous.
2: Are they latex balloons?
0: Uh, is that a problem?
2: Are you allergic to latex? I'm allergic to latex.
1: They're they're okay, mylar. Rachel,
0: do not do not touch. Well, the ones on this side of the room are all mylar, and these ones are all uh latex. So I, you probably shouldn't touch anything in here.
2: I'm not going to touch anything that's in here. Don't breathe. Okay.
0: Perfect. As long as Happy I do like Woo 99. 100.
1: <laughs> episode
0: 100 is coming up. Ah. Oh. I'm very excited for that one, but I'm excited for this one as well.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, my topic is a big topic, so
0: we'll get okay. started. Yes, go for it.
1: Yeah, <clears throat> you may have seen recently in the news that uh, Mauna Loa on the Big Island of Hawaii recently started erupting for the first time since 1984. <laughs> of course, absolutely. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't. I don't want this to sound flippant, um, because m- many people have been killed by Hawaiian volcanoes mm-hmm. in previous centuries. Right, right. And many, you know, many people have had houses and property destroyed by lava flows, even in more recent years. Um, right. That being said, though, the Hawaiian eruptions are probably the most fun volcanic eruptions in the world. <laughs> um, <laughs>
0: they're, they're very, very cool.
1: Yeah. Uh, for a number of reasons. As long as your house
0: is not in the way, right? Yeah.
1: Absolutely. There's that beautiful, right. Exactly. There's that beautiful glowing red lava that flows across the landscape. Um, sometimes there's the dramatic spectacle of the lava hitting the ocean. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. it's the popularity and accessibility of the islands themselves, kind of as tourist destinations, and you know, the fact that it is these days at least pretty rare that somebody gets killed, so it's like the fun kind of volcanic eruption. Um, That's
0: a real nice bonus, yeah. yeah, definitely.
1: Still, you know, volcanoes still nothing to mess around with, and they deserve respect and caution at all times. Um, The reason that lava is so pretty and runs in rivers along the ground instead of producing, like, earth-shaking blasts like Krakatoa or Mount St. Helens. Sure. Mm -hmm. Um, We've talked about a few of those, yeah. Yes. Uh, These are shield volcanoes, which means that they're made of basalt lava, which is a relatively thin and runny lava, Um, rather Mm, than a thick and goopy lava like they have... uh, at, at those other volcanoes that I mentioned. Mm-hmm. And because the lava is thin and runs easily, it spreads out a lot. So shield volcanoes tend to be very wide and broad with gentle slopes, um, rather than the kind of typical volcano shape that we think of. Uh, the like cone. Mount, mount, yeah, yeah, the cone, like Mount Fuji. Yeah, like we've, we've very, talked
0: about like strato, strato yeah, volcanoes. Strato-volcanoes and...
1: that's, a, that's the other yeah. kind. Um, anyway, this news from Hawaii got me thinking about mountains and the fact that Mauna Loa is a really really big mountain um in fact oh, it is oh, the, yeah. most, the most massive mountain on earth and its neighbor on the big island Mauna Kea, is the tallest mountain on earth if you measure it from its base on the seafloor
2: oh okay right i was about to say yeah. i'm pretty That's sure one of my, everest is in there but no nah, it's
0: one of my favorite nature facts <laughs> yes that everest is not not the biggest mountain on earth yet.
2: right oh, so cool
1: depending how you not measure even it. close yeah <laughs> yeah so, yeah, if you look at the entire height of the mountain from its base, um, it, Mount Everest is not the tallest mountain on Earth because it is part of a continent. Its base is considered sea level.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah.
1: And so, Mount Everest's height above sea level is 8,849 meters at latest measurement. Um, and Mauna Kea's height above its base on the seafloor is 9,330 meters. So, that's almost 500 meters higher. Um than Everest. That's you yeah. know, that's pretty big. Monolo is only a little shorter than Mauna Kea. Um, it's about like um uh, like 150 meters shorter. Mm-hmm. But it is, as I mentioned before, extremely massive. It has long been considered the most massive mountain or volcano on Earth. The the Crazy. estimated volume that they they estimated this with, I guess, satellites. Is seventy five thousand cubic kilometers, which is it's in a number that is kind of meaningless to most people's brains, um, uh. <laughs> and it covers <laughs> it covers an area of fifty one hundred square kilometers.
2: That's insane. It's big. That's a, it's big. that's
1: really big. But wait, according to the U.S. Geological Survey, Mauna Loa could be considered way way higher than Mauna Kea if you take into account how much the volcano is actually depressing the seafloor underneath it
2: oh, oh
0: interesting so okay. let me let me
1: talk you through this to understand this you have <coughs> okay. to think you have All to right. think about the shape um of the mountain so above mm-hmm. its base on the seafloor it makes a giant shallow cone shape mm-hmm. but Actually, the mass of the mountain continues down below that in an inverted cone shape. So, sure. Altogether, the mountain's kind of like a very wide diamond shape. Okay. That makes sense. Do you,
0: let me, let me clarify though, like <clears throat> if you were looking at a, uh, a drawing of this from the side, like yeah. a, a um, planar view or whatever, if you're looking at it from the side, um, and you would you actually see a dip? in the seafloor as you get closer to the mountain? Or is this just sort of, it's depressing the material around it, but you wouldn't actually see that? You know um,
1: I, mean? I don't think, like, if you were approaching it on the seafloor, you would necessarily see the dip just because of how wide okay. it is. Okay. Gotcha. But, uh, The seafloor kind of sinks? The, the seafloor is underneath it. They have measured it with um, gotcha. okay. waves. Sonar? Whatever. Ah. the I, I'm now blanking <laughs> on the, yeah, the sonar. name of the technology they use. Yeah. yeah. Um, but they can tell because the seafloor itself has a different profile than the mantle underneath it and the mountain above it, so they can tell where stuff starts and stops. So if you take into account the amount of seafloor that's just displaced by the gigantic mass of this mountain, Monolo is actually about 17 uh 17,170 meters high. So that's almost twice its official whoa. height above the seafloor.
0: What whoa, what? Yeah. Okay.
1: <laughs> so there's like almost as much of it below the sea floor as there. As
0: okay, so that's that's counting like the mass of this you know rocky intrusion that has come up from underneath. Like you yeah. I mean what where my question is where do you stop? I mean do you include the magma that it's connected to way no. down in the mantle, like, I mean, you, you could, the and then it's even bigger. I mean, I guess, <laughs> but
1: no, I, like, I, I, it's, it's debatable whether this is a legitimate measurement, but you know, I think if you think about the seafloor as being kind of imagine it being flat, although it's not really flat, and mm-hmm. then the mountain comes and it just, it just yeah. dips down because it's being pushed down, you know, if you're,
0: I guess, it is, if this is all material that has come up yes and then the weight has pushed it all back down uh, I can see how that would count that's pretty amazing
1: yeah absolutely astounding that is and it is very impressive but now I am going to talk about a really big volcano we, oh, we just we are, were, are, we leaving the, are
0: we leaving the planet
1: yes getting to the volcano is a little more involved <laughs> than going to Hawaii because oh. this one's on Mars <laughs> yes
0: it is Yeah.
1: oh okay yeah all right
0: Saw that coming. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> I am talking about, of course, Olympus Mons, which oh, is the so solar awesome. system's monster volcano. It's huge. That thing is crazy. It is. It's so big.
0: It's, it's, it's bigger than you think, Rachel. Hold, hold on.
1: <laughs> it is also a shield volcano, and it rises um, almost 22 kilometers, so that's 21,900 meters above the Martian surface. yeah yeah Uh, that is so high that you can consider it to be scraping the top of Mars's atmosphere which is a lot thinner than Earth's uh the atmospheric pressure at the top of the mountain is only 12 percent of the Martian surface pressure compared to which isn't much to start with (laughs) no compared to Everest um which has a pressure of 32 percent of pressure at sea level but even more than its height, which is again impressive, uh-huh. um, Olympus Mons is hugely wide. It covers an area of three hundred thousand square kilometers, which is about the area of the state of Arizona.
0: Okay,
1: <laughs> <For>
0: <laughs> it's, sure. like, it's so ridiculous. You think you think okay, something could oh, be bigger big. than it's just big. Arizona. Arizona, But like, think about the biggest volcanoes we have; they don't. They're not the size of Arizona, right? No. Like that's just ridiculous. <laughs> they're,
2: they're Hawaii, which is yeah,
1: well, Oh my god, not as big as
0: Arizona.
2: <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> not, um, not. The as
1: caldera, much. the caldera alone is eighty kilometers across. That's about fifty miles. Sure. Why not? And You're that big. Why basically, not? Basically, this mountain sticks out like a giant nipple from the surface of <clears> Mars. <throat> Take, I mean,
0: a lovely visual. the
1: comparison is apt. <laughs> if you just yeah, go and it is. Google some images of the planet with Olympus Mons, like it is, it's just there. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Wow. Um, we're, we're only a few minutes in. And I think we already have the episode title. <laughs> Olympus Mons, Mars's nipple. Oh, beautiful. Or the nipple of Mars.
2: Oh, I wonder if that'll, Ooh, I like nipple of Mars. That, that's good. I wonder if we'll get um,
1: uh, censored for that.
0: Censored for that? Mm -hmm. Possibly. We're going to find out, I think.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Because it's so large, though, the average slope of its sides is only about 5%, although, you know, that's the average slope. So the central portion is much steeper. Also, if you were standing on the surface of Mars, you would not be able to see the whole profile of the volcano because it's so large. And also, you know, Mars is a bit smaller than Earth, so the curvature is more...
0: Mm-hmm. Well, right. Picture standing in the middle of Arizona and seeing both borders at once. Yeah. No. Like, nope. Nope. <laughs> Not gonna happen. Not
1: happening. <laughs> no. 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 And the the That's reason awesome. it's so large, it actually, uh, from what we understand about Martian geology, it it forms pretty similarly to a mountain like Mauna Loa. So it's a shield volcano, okay. as I mentioned. Um, they think it's like the composition is similar basalt type of stuff um and they think it was formed much like the Hawaiian islands by a hot spot a uh, mantle plume that's poking up. but Mars never really got plate tectonics going, so right where the Hawaiian islands um were Move. formed by the the tectonic plate moving across the hot spot, and so a different different spot is uh, a mountain forms in a different spot over time. Mm-hmm. Um, that didn't happen. So it's just one really, really, really big mountain.
2: Yeah. Of, it just keeps, keeps going. Super cool. Yeah. Oh my gosh.
1: Um, and I have to say this is, this is, I guess, a bookmark for next, some other time, because when I was researching this episode, I was shocked to learn that Olympus Mons is not necessarily considered the largest mountain in the solar system. What? to be continued
0: to be continued
1: so those are my monster mountains that I wanted to talk about this time (laughs) sure yeah Um, and we're going to take a little break when we come back Kirk will have something else for us
0: Hey, everybody, before we get back to the show, want to say a little thank you to all of our patrons. We're rounding out the year here and, you know, looking at all of our expenses and budget and stuff for the year, we really could not do it without you. Our patrons are really those people that make this show possible. Shout out to our newest patron, by the way. We have
2: Mary. Thanks, Mary. Yay. Thanks, Mary. Yes, thank you,
0: Mary. Uh, We appreciate you becoming a patron. And, uh, you know, you too listening, yes, you can join if you go to patreon.com slash strange by nature. Back to the show. Welcome back. Uh, Rachel. Yes. You are a huge Harry Potter nerd, correct?
2: Yes. I have a Harry Potter tattoo.
0: I know. Um, do you remember the name of the first book?
2: Uh, so it's debated because, uh, everywhere else it's the Philosopher's (laughs) Stone, but in the United States, it's the Sorcerer's Stone. Harry
0: Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Right. Well done, Rachel. I I knew you would know that. Yes, indeed. (laughs) In the U.S., we do call it Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, but everywhere else it was Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. Apparently, U.S. publishers thought kids wouldn't read a book with the word philosopher in the title. They didn't think...
2: That um, we were smart enough for that. Like, we wouldn't get it or something. It's whatever.
0: <laughs> Amazing. Well, so the Philosopher's Stone uh, is an idea that Rowling borrowed from real-life alchemists. Uh, there's actually a lot of stuff that she borrowed in the book from sort of real-life things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and much like in the book, uh, the stone um, has the power to prolong life supposedly, if you could create it. Um, But one of the better-known properties of the Philosopher's Stone was to turn any base metal into gold. And this transformation was known as transmutation. And -hmm. transmutation of gold was one of the main driving quests of alchemy. And the quest for the creation of the Philosopher's Stone was known as the Magnum Opus, or the Great Work. Spoiler alert, uh, didn't work, (laughs) Uh, to be clear. yeah, Uh, Alchemists were never successful at doing this. Uh, but alchemy did eventually give birth to the science of chemistry. Uh, the the words are actually linguistically related, and we've learned a lot about metals since then. And alchemists thought that because they could destroy metals, they could possibly create them as well, which wasn't so far fetched an idea I mean, at the time. A they didn't really, they yeah, it's a thought. Um, the problem is they had really no understanding of what an element really was. And they had no understanding of like atomic theory to understand really why different elements are what they are. So we now know that elements are distinct from other elements because of the number of protons and neutrons that make them up. Uh, it gets kind of nerdy, but it's it's actually pretty simple. Like if you remember the periodic table of elements from school, gold is number 79 mm-hmm. on there because it has 79, 79 protons. Protons. Yep. Yeah, and if it, and if it if it didn't. It wouldn't be gold anymore, right? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So, if you actually were to take one of those protons away, uh, you'd have 78 and you'd have platinum. So, it's really just, you know, a different, what difference of a proton there. And it becomes pretty clear why the alchemists couldn't make gold, right? Uh, The engagement ring I helped design for my wife happens to be platinum, Uh, but no matter what I do to it and attempt to make it gold, I have no way of adding even a single proton uh, to every atom in her ring to sort of magically turn it into gold. Yeah, that'd be uh, pretty my cool, My ring though. that I wear... Yeah. I, I mean, I, I like the fact that it's platinum it's not right. gold, but yeah, that'd be pretty neat if we could do that. Uh, my ring that I wear is titanium, actually, which only has 22 protons. But again, uh, how on earth would I ever add 57 protons to every atom in that ring to <laughs> mm-hmm. turn it into gold? Uh, there's, there's just no way on earth... Uh, that is happening, and that's the crux of my story this week. There is no way on earth that no. is happening.
2: Oh what? Oh, it's happening going going to outside. Ooh, to space. I. Oh god. Yeah, going
0: all the way to space. Um, to space we do have a word for adding. I know we have a word for adding more protons to an element. We call it fusion. Right? Yes, <laughs> I mean, we do. Uh, mm-hmm. There have been a few breakthroughs uh, on fusion uh, reactors here on yeah. Earth in the last month, which is cool. Uh, which is not what I'm going to talk about. But um, in general, this isn't something that happens uh, naturally here on Earth. Mm-hmm. Uh, you need something like the sun to be big enough to fuse atoms together. And there's a problem, though, when it comes to gold. And so I want to talk about our sun for a minute. The sun is massive. It runs on hydrogen. Uh, hydrogen is, is the lightest element. Uh, it only has an atomic mass of one. One. That's why it's the first yep. thing on the periodic table. It, it just has one proton. So what the sun does is it fuses two of those together, and you end up with helium, which has two protons. Yes, you do. Uh, toward toward <laughs> the end of... Exactly. Uh, which is fun to play with. Uh, toward the end of the sun's life, uh, though it will burn through all the all of the... Hydrogen, it's then going to burn through all the helium. When I say burn, I mean it's going to fuse it. It's going to fuse the helium into carbon. The carbon will be fused into oxygen. Um, oxygen can actually be fused with helium to make neon and so on and so on. The, these reactions make magnesium with 12 protons, silicon with 14, and then finally iron with 26. Although some massive red giant stars even mm-hmm. have the ability to make nickel to fuse uh, stuff into nickel, which has... 28 oh. protons, but that's okay. that's it, that's where the fusing stops. In a star which presents us with a puzzle, uh, the atomic weight of nickel is 28, and the periodic table goes way further. Uh, mm-hmm. current count has it all up to 118. And remember, gold has 79, and uh, and not even a super massive red giant star has enough power to cause elements to fuse into gold. So, what we need is a supernova. Oh. So Yeah. So uh, those really big stars, uh, if you have at least a solar mass of like 15, I believe, so like 15 times the size of our sun, they will eventually end their life by, in a gigantic explosion called a supernova. And we talked about those a little bit on the show before. Yeah. Uh, the explosive forces involved are mind-breaking and enormous. Elements don't really fuse into gold in the explosion. Uh, It's kind of made a different way. I mean, you could kind of think in a fusion, but I think a fusion is like two elements coming together. And that's not really what's going on here. Um, So just remember, just before the star's life ends, the core has all fused into either like iron or nickel, right? Uh, Right. When the star goes supernova, uh, and believe me, I am simplifying here. Oh, 100%. (laughs) Uh, You have to. uh, (laughs) Right. Um, but in, an, in this explosion, an enormous amount of neutrons are just released as like free neutrons. OK, and the iron at the core is bombarded with so many um, that these free neutrons and all these protons and stuff are basically crammed right on into the iron and new elements above iron in the periodic table, not just gold. Um, but all these elements are formed in the heart of an exploding star by having everything just be shoved together at enormous pressure. Huh. Um, it's again gross simplification, yeah. but that's basically what's going on. Cool. So, like I said, it's not not just gold. So that aluminum foil in your drawer in your kitchen, exploding star. The tungsten <laughs> in your old-fashioned incandescent light bulb filament, exploding star. The the neodymium and the rare earth magnet that holds your purse closed exploding <laughs> star uh, and thing is it it isn't just the heavier elements though because i was talking about what fused together in um the lighter elements that fuse together you know hydrogen to helium helium into like oxygen and it, it kind of mm-hmm. ramps up pretty quickly up to iron and there's there's stuff missing in between there so lighter elements uh, than iron are also created in a supernova the very calcium in your bones And the carbon in your DNA was created in a supernova. There is no other process that can create those elements. Wow. So those elements blown out of multiple supernovas eventually coalesced into planets, and the raw elements of life became you and me. So I started talking about gold, and it's true. All the gold in the world started out in an exploding star, which is pretty cool if you have like a a gold ring on. You can go, oh, cool, that... uh, that started out an exploding star, but keep in mind, so did your finger. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> and you're like, and literally everything you can see right now, uh, the elements that make it up were once inside of an exploding star, mm-hmm. which is, I think, one of the coolest, strangest nature facts out there. Absolutely, I'm glad I could, you know, save it for episode 99. I mean, everything is from stars, mm-hmm. you know, we're and spe- specifically from stuff. supernovas. There you go. Yeah. Carl Sagan talked about this, uh, obviously, and uh, used that famous quote that uh, Rachel said about we're all just, you know, basically mm-hmm. made out of star stuff, uh, which is, uh, you know, get away with words. So yeah. uh, that's all I got this week. Star stuff. And uh, thinking about uh, where everything, including gold, comes from.
1: Thanks, Carl. So I mean, el- Kirk. <laughs> yeah,
0: if you want, I'll say if you if you if you want to be an alchemist, just go out there and, and blow, start blowing some stars up. I feel, feel like, like there are degree. other we're going to go to a break <laughs> yeah i mean don't do it here on earth we're going to we're going to uh, we're going to go to break and when we come back it'll be Rachel mhm
2: so episode 99 uh this episode i'm really excited for this uh, particular topic uh, this comes at the request of one of our patrons and one of my best friends, um, whose birthday happens to be when this episode comes out. So uh,
0: amazing! I better I better not get it up late then. So
2: uh, <laughs> I think you'll be fine. Uh, so happy birthday, Amanda! You absolute weirdo! Happy
0: birthday, Amanda!
1: Happy birthday, Amanda! All right. Thank
0: you for being uh, part of the Society of Strange with us.
2: Yay! So there's a variety of dangerous careers, not critters, creatures, careers out there. Okay. Um, What are some uh, that come to mind for you both?
1: Supernova, uh, Alchemist.
2: Right.
0: Of course. That's top of the list right there. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
2: Most dangerous. Mm -hmm. Logger. Okay.
0: I mean, I always used to, I had heard that, you know, actually being in theater, was actually a dangerous profession. No joke, because mm-hmm. uh, you don't think about the fact that you're, you're on sets, some of which are not necessarily they are temporary. You have thousands of, pay, of uh, pounds of stage rigging over your head. Yeah. Uh, people used to die in all kinds of fires, lights dropping on your heads. Uh, not classically thought of a dangerous profession, but um, yeah, it can be. Yeah, Volcanologist I would is think, a
1: fairly dangerous profession. Yeah.
0: Coal definitely. miner.
1: Coal
2: miner. Coal miner. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Okay. Um, one that is generally in my head space, which by the way, I am wearing a very appropriate, uh, shirt for this, uh, is deep sea diving as a career. Yeah. Sure. Um, be it for like deep sea welding for people out on oil rigs, uh, or doing oh, yeah. research rigs, yeah. for science. Um, I just res- listened to an episode of ologies and they did, uh, Ali was talking with, um, a Marine um archaeologist which is insane uh like they study shipwrecks and things which is crazy
0: um, oh cool very cool so
2: cool uh but there's so many things that can go wrong when you're underneath the water like that uh especially for long periods you know of rachel time.
0: You, you know what you know what captain ron says
2: what does captain ron say uh, if anything's
0: gonna happen it's gonna happen out there
2: oh yeah um, so one that's thing that's for you,
0: Brett, that's for you.
2: <laughs> so one thing that goes wrong, uh, that one thing that can go wrong is, uh, if you surface too quickly, uh, is getting the bends, uh, which is decompression, uh, sickness, uh, which is really bad. Uh, if you have any sort of equipment malfunctions or, uh, any, anything that can go wrong down there is not great. Um, um,
0: not good. And
2: if you're also, a deep you diver then go up,
1: you know, a really high mountain right after diving also it's not <laughs> right
0: here. Yeah, yeah. See, now absolutely. only the patrons are going to hear that bonus uh, material <laughs> where I tell the story of the day I dove and went to the top <laughs> mountain at the same time. Become a patron, you can hear what inside joke that Victoria is talking about. <laughs> <sighs> um not my proudest day, okay?
2: No, no. It's definitely not. Uh but one one thing that uh oil rig workers will actually do or if you are a deep sea diver or welder you actually they have like little homes that they have way down deep underneath the water and you just stay there for like a week or two um so that way you don't have to because after a certain depth it takes like eight hours and the decompression will uh stay the same like the amount of decompression time that you have to have to do stays the same after a certain depth
0: yeah Uh, so once you're down you might as well stay down for a while
2: exactly so like that would be uh anything that goes wrong in that little home or anything could be really bad um but one thing that doesn't tend to get discussed is some of the critters you might encounter while you're underneath the water so
0: okay
1: (laughs) um Wait, are these folks this living is in going a pineapple? All over the place. Under the are sea. Are these folks living in a pineapple under the
0: sea? Who lives in a pineapple under the sea?
1: Uh no, these ones
2: are not. Um Okay. Okay. So let's dive in. <laughs> oh jeez. Uh, so Bob oh, yeah. <laughs> Bob Cranston uh was a wildlife photographer. Um he was diving. This happened maybe about 10 years ago or so. Uh he was diving with two other experienced divers in the Sea of Cortez, which is by Baja, California in the Pacific Ocean, kind of the eastern yes. side. Okay. Uh to film the <coughs> feeding behavior of some squid at night. You know, fun research. It should be really cool. Uh overall it was a success and they got some really good shots. Bob and one of the other divers surface and they realize that one of the other that their third diver is missing.
0: Uh-oh. At night, you say? At
2: oh, good. night. Even better, right? <laughs> totally oh, easy to
0: find. Yeah. Uh, oh, man. <laughs> I don't like this, Rachel. Oh,
2: good. Uh, it's not going to get better. Um, Hold on. Oh, <laughs> okay. So after a little while, the that third diver, Alex, he does surface, but boy howdy does he have a story.
1: Uh, okay. At least so, he can tell a story. <laughs> yeah, that
2: is very true. Uh so they're filming these uh these squid feeding and their habit habits and things and the behavior. Um so one of one singular squid came over and started kind of nibbling on one of his fins. And he reacted very much how I would react, which is, oh, well, that's cool, and just kind of watched. Oh, neat. Right? Yeah. Super uh-huh. neat. Well, Soon after that, as, you know, the, these squid feed in large groups, uh, five or six <laughs> more squid latch on
0: right. to
2: Alex uh, and start dragging him down.
1: Uh, <gasps> oh, no. When one, squids attack. They're like,
0: they're like yeah. hey, we found a whale carcass. It's like, everybody ooh, on. Delicious.
2: Uh so one actually even wrapped its tentacles around his head and neck. So it's nope. not nope. good. No. Nope.
0: Um
2: they dragged him down probably about uh I think it was like 50 or so feet. It it wasn't like super far but he definitely noticed that they were starting to drag him down. Um and eventually Alex was actually did his survival instincts kicked in and he was able to fight off the squid uh, by like punching and kicking and getting out of there. And the squid did release him uh, and he was Mm -hmm. able to surface and he was able to tell the story. Like he was hurt uh, and he actually apparently has scars from this attack. Uh, So yeah. So this particular squid is actually has another name uh, of red devil uh, when they're Mm. attacked. As when they're attacking or feeding, they actually are able to flash red. They have the chromatophores, which we've talked about before in this podcast. Cool. Cool. Uh, They flash like a deep like blood red uh, and they flash between Mm. that and white. Um, There's a couple different. that's not
0: intimidating at all.
2: No, that's not terrifying at all. Uh, So hail Hydra. (laughs) The red devil, as it's known, is also called the Humboldt squid. Hmm. Or the jumbo squid as well. Uh, They're actually very common in the fishing industry and like calamari and things like that. Um, They're fished quite a bit. Uh, They are the largest flying squid in the world. Uh, A few weeks ago about Halloween...
0: F- flying, flying squid, flying squid.
2: Yes, flying. It's a type of squid. It doesn't fly through the air. It flies through the water. It has. Uh, okay, these uh, specialized I thought we would missed fins. part of the
0: story here. No. Like, no. Victoria's <laughs> talked about flying snakes, <laughs> flying mm-hmm. spiders. So yep. I just wanted to clarify. Okay.
2: Nope. It, it flies through the water. It also has uh, some specialized no fins do. on its mantle that look like wings. Yeah, yeah. So that's why they're okay. part I've seen of a something group. Like that. Yeah. yeah. Uh I I actually literally had a note on here that said no it does not fly through the air. <laughs> so, perfect. Uh they are the largest flying squid. Uh they're not the largest squid in the world. Uh I talked about that in our Halloween episode. Um but they are yeah, yeah. the third largest squid. Um they Oh my, okay. <laughs> wow. This squid uh lives in the Eastern Pacific Ocean from the chip of Chile all the way to alaska uh in the open ocean anywhere from it's a their range is actually expanded they used to not actually be found um in that whatever range but uh climate change yep uh they're found yeah they're found anywhere from about 660 feet to 2300 feet down um, so when they were feed, when Alex and, um, Bob Cranston were, were diving, they were pretty deep down to be able to get video of, and film of the, these squid. So, right. This squid gets to be about, uh, five feet long. So about one and a half meters. Uh, and that's okay. just the mantle size. Uh, so that's about oh. a little six, about 65, 70% of the squid. Um, so that's anywhere from the beak all the way to the tip of what we would call like the head um, yeah. of sure. the squid. So it's about one and a half meters or about five feet long. Um, the tentacles Rachel. make it. It's, it's more than a Rachel if you include the tentacles. <laughs>
0: sure. <laughs>
2: um, and they are about 110 pounds each.
0: Oh, that's oh, a lot of squid! Gosh, yeah, yeah, and then they're all wrapping around him. That would just uh-huh. be terrifying. Absolutely wow. awful. That's a that's a hard no from me. <laughs> well, I'm gonna pass this, on that experience.
2: Uh, this particular occurrence isn't abnormal when it comes to Humboldt squid. Uh, they actually have been um, they've been observed, and they have shown aggression generally during like feeding time or feeding behaviors uh are being displayed is when they'll attack humans. Uh but there's a lot of really horrible like stories about Humboldt Squid coming in from nowhere and then um mm. either dragging divers down, dragging uh those the deep sea welders on oil rigs out in the middle of the ocean uh, down or like maybe you see uh, some little ones and then they all disappear and you're like what is that what's going on I'm I'm probably fine and then you turn around into a big uh, a much bigger one <laughs> uh, that's flashing at you it's not good gosh um this is also astounding because uh, they're actually a relatively short lived species uh, a lot of animals when they get to be this type of s- or this size uh they tend to be a little longer lived and it actually humboldt squid only live uh for a year or two so they grow to their oh, wow. maximum okay. size lay about 3 million eggs and, when they spawn and off they and then die so
1: yeah a lot of cephalopods tend to be uh pretty short lived mm-hmm. more uh, more than you would think oh
2: exactly uh so they use those specialized fins at their mantle, or they're also known as wings, to actually help siphon water um, through a special uh, uh, port, and they're able to jet through and propel themselves through water uh, at about uh, 15 miles an hour through the water, which is pretty quick for a squid. Um, yeah. Yeah. And faster than I can swim. That is absolutely faster than I can swim.
0: <laughs> faster than I can sink. (laughs) Uh,
2: And then they have uh, arms, and then they have tentacles. They only have two tentacles, but the rest are arms. But each of those two tentacles, which were wrapped around, um, each of them have about 100 to 200 suckers. Uh Um, And each of those suckers are actually lined with sharp, and I put quotations over it, teeth that are specialized to hook... In to prey to help drag it to their beak or their mouth, um, or
1: unwary scuba divers,
2: or unwary, yeah, exactly. Uh, Uh, so this equates the math. Uh, I I watched an animal planet video about this particular attack, they equated it to about 72,000 teeth
1: uh, just latched in. (coughs) That's
0: a lot of teeth,
2: (laughs) yeah, yeah. Um, obviously,
0: yeah.
1: (laughs) <laughs>
2: <Cool>. <laughs> Obviously, uh, Alex was okay, um, but this is actually an ongoing. Uh, this is an ongoing problem where people aren't necessarily paying attention to the things around them, or the behaviors of the animals. But uh, Humboldt squid are also just that aggressive, um, mm. which is crazy. And that's what I have mean. for us this week. Happy birthday, Amanda! Thank you, you weirdo. Rachel. Thanks
0: that's uh well maybe uh next time you see amanda you guys can s- go for a swim <laughs> and uh <We'll> dive. <laughs> for there will be no humboldt squid
2: i hope I, they shouldn't it'll be f- i'm not going in the pacific ocean anytime soon so we're good
0: oh. all right
2: all right well thanks. lake
0: superior it is all right <laughs>
2: all right well thanks everyone for listening And we will see you next week for episode
0: 100. Episode 100. Bye. Bye.
1: Bye.
0: Thanks, everyone, for listening to today's show. Be sure to subscribe. New episodes drop every Wednesday, and we love sharing this strange world with all of our listeners. If you would be so kind as to leave us a five-star review, that would be great. It lets other lovers of the strange discover the show.